Do you want to stop yelling and have your child listen to? Well, I have exciting news for you. If you're hearing this right now, it means that the doors to mindful parenting are open at mindfulparentingcourse.com. This only happens for a limited time, and it may be perfect for you if you want to be that patient, calm parent, but you're afraid of being walked all over, you're losing it, and you want to be that steady, peaceful parent, you don't have a cohesive method, and you take in bad advice like just count to one, two, three. Mindful parenting is an evidence-based system that not only teaches you how to calm your reactivity, but offers you a ton of personal guidance. A lot of other parenting coaches talk about the best way to respond to your child, but guess what? They don't walk you through the research-proven practices that it really takes to create changes that actually last. Mindful Parenting teaches you the specific steps to create cooperative, loving relationships for life. In Mindful Parenting, you can learn how to stay calm, even if you find yourself shouting hourly now. Be present for your child no matter what they're going through. Resolve conflicts easily without yelling or taking away the iPad. Set limits without your child resenting you for days afterward. And build trust between you and your child so that you avoid misery in the teen years. The doors are open now at mindfulparentingcourse.com. Unlike other programs in Mindful Parenting, we offer one-on-one coaching to every member and weekly drop-in coaching sessions. Don't wait anymore. You and your kids are worth leveling up. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there. You're listening to the Mindful Mama Podcast, Episode 89. Today, we're talking about teaching our kids resilience and well-being. Welcome to the Mindful Mama Podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you are thriving and when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark-Fields, Mindfulness Mama Mentor. I coach overstressed moms on how to cultivate self-awareness in their daily lives and take family and life to a new level of awakening. I've been practicing yoga and mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of the Mindful Parenting Course and the I'm the Mom of two girls ages 7 and 10 who keep me on my toes. Thank you so much for being here today, dear listener. I am so grateful that you're here. I'm grateful for your ears and your presence. I really appreciate it, whether you are listening in the car or you are out on a walk. I really appreciate you taking me along with you. Maybe you are folding laundry. I like to listen to a podcast while folding laundry. Do you? I mean, that I don't know. For me, that's that's a good podcast time. Anyway, <laughs> I'm so glad you're here today because I'm really excited to share this interview with you with Rini Jane. And Rini is tech entrepreneur turned speaker and life coach, and she specializes in cultivating skills of resilience in both adults and children. And she 
takes research-based concepts and transform them, transforms them into engaging and digestible learning modules. And so for kids, what we're going to talk about today is for kids, she has created this amazing programs found at GoZen to teach life skills via digital animation. So I'm really excited for you to listen to this conversation. We talked about how to stress better, how to teach kids about processing emotions, why being present is really hard, and what our culture is teaching us, and and why we feel like we need to distract our kids all the time, why we haven't learned how to use tech mindfully, and even sensitive learning periods. We're going to talk more also about the science of well-being, and this is a very hopeful interview, so I can't wait for you to hear, get your takeaways about this, and, and you'll even hear about the Star Wars analogy, which I think is a great one. Before we dive in, I want to thank Mrs. Chrissy C. for the five-star iTunes review, and she says, thank you for reminding me of the important things. You are welcome, Chrissy. I'm so thankful to you for leaving a review. It's a great way to support the podcast. It's super easy to leave a review now. You can just do it on your phone, search for the Mindful Mama podcast, and then click over to ratings and reviews. And there's a place to leave a rating and review right there. So it only takes a few minutes. And if you haven't left a rating and review yet, now is the perfect time, I guess, if you're not driving to leave one. So please, please do that. Coming up in real time here at the world of the Mindfulness Mama Mentor, I am going to be enrolling soon some group coaching programs. The Mindful Mama Transformation Group Coaching Programs are going to be starting in November, and this is a really powerful program. It's a very small group. We go with a maximum of seven participants, and we gather together uh, frequently over the course of six months to hold each other's hands and walk ourselves through uh, learning to bring mindfulness into your daily lives, learning to transform our anxieties, learning to take brave steps in the world, learning to be really present with our kids. So you can learn more about that over at hunterclarkfields.com. Click over to work with me and you'll you can learn more about that. I think you can get on the waiting list. And there's um, there's an application process, but don't be afraid. You just apply and talk to me about it. And we can talk more about the Mindful Mama Transformation Group coaching. It's coming up really soon. So that's it. On to this episode with Rini Jane. Rini, thank you so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast. I'm so glad you could be here today. I am happy to be here. Can't wait. <laughs> it's so funny because I just totally mispronounced your name. <laughs> but we're going to every day. Let's blame my parents. We're going to work. <laughs> they, they, they give you a fun- I have a funky name too. So, you know, it's, it makes it memorable, right? Like people exactly. remember Rini, people remember Hunter, and then you're in trouble because everybody remembers your name and you're like, wait, what was You're your like, name? yeah. That's frustrating. Yeah, I totally get that. So you're, I'm excited to share your work with, um, with my audience today. I'm really excited about what you're doing. So I, I would like it if you could just give us a little uh, rundown on what is is Go Zen. Go Zen is a place where we create 
content that teaches kids skills I basically wish I had learned when I was a kid. (laughs) Skills of resilience, skills of well-being, life skills. Um, I actually didn't realize all of these things were things that you could learn. Like you can learn to play the violin. You can actually practice well-being. You can practice how to be good at life. (laughs) You can practice how to overcome challenges. So we teach kids concepts in bite-sized modules and animations. So basically we create cartoons that engage them and we teach them skills through the cartoons. That is so cool. So what, and and it's on, everyone will be able to check it out at gozen.com and tell us a little bit more about who is using gozen and what do they, what do they, what do they come there for mostly? So, you know, we have um, a really interesting mix at this point of people that are using GoZen. We have uh, the programs that we've created. So we have a variety of programs are right now in about 1,500 schools. Um, usually K through 8 is where it is being used. And really our sweet spot is like late elementary and middle school. We have parents that are using it at home with their kids. And then we have therapists that are using it in their office to support the work that they're doing with kids. So it's kind of a variety of schools, parents, and therapists. And really, you know, at the end of the day, the end user is the child. That's so cool. And so, so Gozen helps kids with well-being, with resilience, and it really grabs them through cartoons. The kids like it. They're into it. A lot of people come to us because they believe that their kids are either anxious or they're highly stressed. Um, but yeah, there is a, just beyond teaching how kids can, we don't say stress management and we don't say that they should be stress-free. I think that's setting the bar too high and it's also putting it at a place that's not really aligned with the science of well-being. So um, we teach kids how to stress better. And so a lot of parents come to us saying that their kids are chronically stressed out. Um, But beyond just kind of getting rid of the bad stuff, right, and taking yourself from a minus 10 to a zero, right, which is what we believe would happen if you got rid of all the bad stuff in your life, right? If you got your place, got yourself to a place where you were stressed in a way that works for you, then you'd probably be close to a neutral Um, But we want kids to thrive, right? Not just survive. So we teach them how to identify their character strengths. We teach them the science of purpose, the science of joy, the science of meaning. We teach them about how they can cultivate those things as well so they can go beyond just the neutral point into thriving. Wow. Wow. That is so cool. So so I'm sure everybody is completely enthralled and excited about this by what you've said, character strengths, finding purpose, finding joy, finding meaning, letting, letting, helping our kids become less stressed. So it's, it's clearly fascinating. It's clearly needed. It, but I want to, let's go, go back a little bit now, uh, Rini, to your, you said you, this is teaching the things that you wished you had learned as a kid. And I often think that we 
teach the kids like like we don't teach kids so many important life skills like we don't teach kids how to take care of big feelings we don't teach kids how to communicate with one another we don't teach kids how to do a tax form you know so what tell us about your own story and and how it was for you growing up and what you you, you missed that are some of these skills that you now are teaching yeah, you know, I was a chronically worried child. I had all of these worries racing through my head. I would lie down at night and the worries would take off like an airplane and I couldn't sleep and I would wake up in the morning exhausted and I would go to school and I would worry some more. And my worries kind of varied, you know, it was uh, social worries. So what if I don't get asked to this party and academic worries? What if I don't do well on this test? And then it just a bunch of, you know, more unidentifiable things. Like I know I'm kind of worried. I'm not exactly sure what about and my parents are loving and compassionate and amazing and supportive. And, you know, they did the best they could. And they offered a lot of reassurance. You're going to be okay. Trust me. You'll be fine. We, you will get you through this. There's nothing to worry about. Because that's what they thought they could do to help, right? And unfortunately, the reassurance didn't really quell my worry. And it got to the point where I felt like I was not only suffering myself, but I was making them suffer alongside me. And that was hard to watch. And I kept thinking, what is wrong with me? Why can't I just stop? Why can't I just tell my brain to stop? And so I, I did something I think a lot of kids do. I did something I think a lot of adults do, which is scary. I just feigned indifference and sort of faked it. I pretended like everything was okay. And I pretended like I was fine. Like one day I just got over it. And my mom was like, how come you're not coming to me with your worries anymore? You know, and I just said, oh, I'm fine now. So school's okay. Yep. Good. Fine. Friends are okay. Yep. Fine. Fine. Everything was fine. I transformed myself into just an emotional stoic you know, I just had no feelings. And the funny thing is, is that the research around this shows you that you cannot numb the dark stuff within you without numbing the light. There's just no way to mute one side of your humanity. And so um, I hoarded pain for a really long time, probably, I would say from the age of maybe 11 or so until I was in my mid-20s when I was in a really terrible relationship and I went through a breakup and I started having these horrifying panic attacks that I thought were heart attacks. I kept going to the ER, telling the doctor, I'm having a heart attack, I'm having a heart attack, I'm having a heart attack. And he kept saying, you're back again, you're not having a heart attack. It's like, you're having panic attacks. I'm like, no, hook me up, check my heart. So, um, you know, I had a massive panic attack one day, went to the hospital. He's like, you're having a panic attack. You need to change your life. And the words just sunk in. And it was the first time, frankly, you know, when I was growing up, we didn't have a lot of resources. I couldn't go to therapy. I don't know if my parents would have put me in therapy anyway, but we didn't, ha we couldn't afford it. Um, so I, like many high functioning people with high functioning anxiety was able to do well in some parts of my life. So I was already doing pretty well in business. You know, I could finally afford to go to a therapist. So I went to one and I was lying down on his sofa and 
he really did sort of look like Freud. It was kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> and as he's teaching me to allow my feelings to rise up for the first time in many, many years, I just had this moment of clarity, like sort of this aha moment. I jolted up and I just said to him, I can't believe this. And he said, what are you like, what are you talking about? Are you okay? I'm like, do you have a time machine? Because I literally think eight-year-old Rini could have learned what you're teaching me now. Mm. I don't understand why we don't teach every single kid what you're teaching me. So I was in a, a technology field at the time and I basically sold my business, um, became a life coach. Then I went back to school, got a master's in psychology. And I was like, I am doing this. I am teaching these skills to kids. And so, you know, what I do at Gozen is, yeah, I, I teach life skills to kids using cartoons. But what I do is I really teach kids things that I wish I knew when I was a kid. Oh my gosh. Wow. I mean, that's amazing. I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And the season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and busts common myths about special education. So I checked out the episode on the difference between IEPs and 504 plans because my daughter Maggie uses a 504 plan and it was really, really helpful. It went over all the differences, which one's better, how to get them, different myths and what your rights are, all kinds of different things that you should understand if your child may need extra help in education through an IEP or a 504 plan. The tone is super helpful, friendly, and smart. I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains. We are supported by Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as Math Mysteries About True Histories. It's a weekly show full of time travel puzzles, hidden equations, history, and lots of laughs. I highly recommend this podcast. It is really wonderful, especially if you have kids like around like six plus, but it can totally be enjoyed by the whole family. So I listened to the episode, The Pirate Queen, and you're just dropped right in the middle of the action. People are fighting. There's sword fight. And then these kids, they've gone on a time travel mission and they have to solve problems in the midst of it. And it really just like exemplifies everything we support here at Mindful Parenting. You know, kids who are adventurous, doing things on the world, they're capable. And then they do things like they have to do math, they have to think critically, they have to code break and pattern solving and all this great stuff. Beyond just the Pirate Queen episode, which I highly recommend, episodes transport listeners to moments in history, too, like Pythagoras, Ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. 
So jump in with your family. Follow the adventures of Max and Molly on an adventure through time with puzzles and hidden equations and laughs. And it really does make learning really fun and really cool. Perfect for ages six and up. New episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids, and you can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. That's Mysteries About True Histories. So, you know, you had this typical childhood, you know, you're doing well, you, you know, you're, you're obviously, you're in a tech startup, you're doing pretty well, but this, this highly functioning anxiety and this worry and, and, and I love that, that wake up call, like, why don't we teach this to every single kid, what you're teaching me? And so what you're saying is basically teaching, teaching kids about, um, our, how to take care of our difficult feelings. Yeah. I am teaching them what they would learn if they ended up in therapy way before they ever needed. Right. Yeah. How to deal with your challenges, how to deal with those big feelings, how to process your emotions, because with the way we're going right now, you can enroll as many psychologists and psychiatrists and other coaches and you know other mental health practitioners into schooling, we will never catch up with what's going on with the epidemic of anxiety and depression. The only way to catch up with it is prevention at this point. The only way to change the trajectory really of this next generation is to teach them these skills way in advance because every child will face a challenge and we don't want to take that from them. That's part of their path, Right. We don't want to prevent the challenge. We just want to teach them the skills that they need to overcome and then also, you know, to go from surviving to thriving. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love this because this is exactly what, um, that's, this is exactly what my work is with teaching moms is like when we, when we are teaching, we modeling, right? We need to learn ourselves how to process big emotions, how to deal with challenges, how to communicate skillfully, how to, how to be able to, um, be present with the things that are difficult, how to regulate our stress response. And, 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 and as we learn that ourselves as parents, then we model that right for our kids. And unfortunately for most of us, we, I mean, for the vast majority of generations of us, we weren't really shown healthy ways to process emotions. Would, would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I think in our parents' generation and the generations before, and you know, with no, I'm saying this with no judgment, but yeah, it was yeah. just like, if a kid displayed big emotions, the goal was to make the emotions go away, yes. it, you know, as fast as possible or hide them. So, you know, send the kid to their room, time them out until they're able to come back with the emotions that we are accepting, which is all on you know, one side of the spectrum of emotions. So if you're going to show me happiness, you're going to show me joy, you're going to show me cheer, I'm okay with that. If you're going to show me anger, you're going to show me negativity, you're going to show me sadness, I'm going to try to fix that. And again, you know, I'm saying this with no judgment. Mm-hmm. People are doing this with all the love and the compassion in the world. But what the message that we have sent to our kids is, listen, those emotions are wrong. Mm-hmm. They don't they don't have a place in society 
And so go to your room, make them go away and come back out. And we wonder why when our kids are teens, they go to their room and they close the door and they numb themselves often in in various ways because they cannot process the emotions that we've been telling them since they were really little that they shouldn't have anyway. I know. It's crazy, right? It's it's crazy. And, and then, you know, I can so relate to everything you're saying. I mean, like when when I was little, I was basically got the example that or the message that my big feelings were unacceptable because as my dad would, you know, I mean, I, I love him and he was doing the best he could and I totally get it because, you know, it's just these generations of suffering. But but you know he would get, it would get he would get angry when when i had big feelings and so it wasn't it was a big message that this wasn't acceptable and so then of course when when my daughter was 2 years old and she had these big emotions and even though i was you know i had been meditating and i was teaching yoga and i would you know i was like going to be this great parent it was like oh boom there's that button of like this is an unacceptable feeling right and it, it's just we pass these things on so it's like that whole idea of like, how do we take care of these difficult feelings? I mean, for me, I I don't know. I just see it as also as the root of almost like every societal problem that we have is comes down to that. I mean, it's insane. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. And Hunter, I think exactly what you're saying is we, unbeknownst to us, we have that wiring from when we were really little. So we think when we have kids, it's going to be different. And then all of a sudden we hear our parents' voices coming out of us. And so I think the first step with that is really an awareness, right? Like, whoa, okay. I have somehow just, (laughs) I've, I've somehow taken on the voice of the generations past and I do not want to repeat that cycle. And so I'm just going to be aware of that. And I'm going to know that I have a choice and it requires slowing down, significantly slowing down so that we can, we can give our kids something that we didn't necessarily have, which is the space to process those big emotions. Now, there's definitely challenges in that, right? I mean, there's sensory challenges for, for a lot of people because a lot of times when kids are younger, especially, it's not just the big emotions, but there's like, there's noise that goes along with it. There's screaming. Sometimes there's hitting. Sometimes there's biting, right? And so we have an internal reaction to that as well. So this is hard work. It's not just, okay, let the child sit, you know, in quiet and process their sadness. A lot of times that comes out as anger, aggression, And so it's up to us as parents to have sort of emotional x-ray vision to be able to see what's underneath that. Mm -hmm. That takes work. Yeah. Yeah. Or even, or even to, to guess, I suppose like, oh, wow, it looks like you're feeling, looks like you're feeling really frustrated and and they will tell you if that's, you're wrong. (laughs) No, not frustrated. That is not it. Oh, this is so cool. I I love this, uh, Rini. This this work that you're doing is so needed, and to to bring it to children and to I mean, I feel like it's really needed in in sort of every level of society, right? Like, how do we how do we take care of our our, our challenging feelings? Because I feel like the the ways of the past. I mean, maybe it was we had healthier ways when we all worked on a farm and we could just get our yayas out, you know, <laughs> but. but um, but, you know, 
I feel like the, the sort of that, the numbing that we do as far as like, you know, reaching for food or reaching for clothes, shopping or just TV or the internet and things like that. There's so many, so much numbing that's happening now. And we're seeing it more and more in this generation of kids. So can you tell us a little bit more um, about what, I mean, and I'm, you know, I'm not sure if you're um, completely sort of up to date on this or whatever, but I'm just guessing that you are um, about what's kind of going, what about the, that sort of epidemic of anxiety and what is going on in sort of the up and coming generation of kids? Yeah, you know, there are a lot of variables. I think you definitely touched on one, which is just this pervasive busyness, right? That is really an avoidance of just being, of us just being. It's hard for us to just be anymore, um, whether that means like literally sitting and staring at the wall, <laughs> and that is really like being, or just being at home in very ordinary conditions, you know, with our children, being with our feelings, being with our senses, being present, that is become very hard. There is, you know, so we feel like we need to fill that uh, for, for various reasons. One, because we don't process our emotions, right? So if we have to deal with something, then instead of dealing with the emotion that's going through us, we, may, we busy ourselves. So we don't, you know, it's one way of not having to deal with it. Um, and if we are not able to process our own emotions, most likely we don't want our kids to process theirs. And so if you are dealing with really little kids, a lot of times we, we scoot them around from here to there to kind of fill up the day because little kids have a lot of emotions that we have to deal with throughout the day, right? And it could be from anything as little as like the drink that you give them to, to whatever, right? To the outfit that they're having to wear. It's like, oh my goodness, I can't deal with this. So you know what? Maybe I'll take them to a play space and maybe I'll take them here and maybe we'll zip around there and then the day will be over, even though you love your kids and you would give your life for your kids, right? So I think that just being has become very difficult and there are a lot a lot of outs to just being now. There's technology, which is a quick out, um, whether that be an iPad or whether that be television. Then for kids who are getting a little bit older, you know, there is social media and there's the quantification of things that we didn't have to deal with growing up. I, you know, maybe knew I wasn't invited to a party, but it wasn't made obvious by Instagram pictures. I maybe knew that someone didn't like me so much, but it wasn't put in my face by number of likes or lack thereof or comments made on some social media thing. And so I think that social comparison has become so starkly quantified that it's like, yeah, look, you know, only six people liked this post instead of 700 people, or I only have this number of friends online. Um, and then there's also just the disconnection from the online connection, which by the way, as I mentioned, I worked in technology. I love technology. Um, and so I'm not anti-tech. I'm not saying let's go live in a forest, although that would be nice sometimes. Um, but what I'm saying is that we haven't learned to use it mindfully, any of us. And so this is contributing to the levels of anxiety. Then, you know, there's, there's the, the race to nowhere, right? So kindergarten is like second grade now. First grade is like third grade. Um, we are not paying attention to developmental milestones anymore where like, for example, your brain will learn colors at a particular age, right? Your brain is 
evolve to learn colors at a particular age, but kids, but parents, and if you wait till that particular age, the mind is ripe to receive that information. But parents might say, oh, I want my child to learn, you know, when they're six months old, which is not the right age. And so, so they start teaching them. So we're starting to teach things at times because look, all with love, I'm saying this without judgment. We're doing it with love because we're saying at the end of the day, when you ask a parent what they want for their kids, they're going to tell you they want them to be happy or successful or happy and successful or have good health, right? There's not that many. The variation of answers is really minimal. It's like, what do you want for your kids when they grow up? Happiness, health, and then some people say success, which is like a combination of things, right? Mm -hmm. And and in order to get that at any cost, we're doing things that are just not aligned with the science of well-being. So I think that all of these things contribute to the level of anxiety. You know, I don't think it's because we're better um, or better at diagnostics and we're better at figuring out whether kids are anxious. So I I don't think that that certainly that plays a part, but it doesn't account for why you know, depression and anxiety are the number one burden of disease in the world. I know it seems crazy because, you know, on the surface, if you think about where we are compared to where we have been in the past, like everybody has enough clothes to wear practically. Like if you're talking about Western society anyway, like most people are fed Everybody has these like advanced things like TVs and and all of our beds are way softer than any king or queen's bed would have been like in the 12th century, right? (laughs) But um, but it's so, you know, on the surface, everything is so much better, yet we seem to have so much suffering. And and uh, you're just pointing at these these ways that we suffer the quantifying of social comparison. I mean, that's something I haven't thought about that much. My daughters are, my oldest daughter is 10 and a half. And so I haven't seen a lot of that yet, you know, and, and, but this idea of we haven't learned to use tech mindfully and, um, and having, I think, you know, we could talk a little bit more about some, maybe some of the boundaries around that and what is like healthy use of that. But then also like you really um, bring stuff up for me about not paying attention and learning our developmental milestones. Um, I'm a, a, a big believer. I love the, um, I really like uh, Montessori education where they emphasize that every kid has sensitive learning periods where, you know, mm-hmm. there's a child that, you know, may, may have a sensitive learning period for, for algebra or reading or something like that. And the, and the teachers, they work with the, the, child's learn sensitive learning periods and when they are in a sensitive learning period for a certain thing they go with it and they fly and they you know they do long division down you know taped up to the ceiling and going down to the floor and they have a lot of fun with it and then they may not focus as much on on other periods so but it's like kind of more about following the child and and honoring those sensitive learning periods but what you're saying is that most of society is kind of going in the opposite direction, right? Where we are just racing to, to more and more and more. So, so what are, you know, there's all this, these pressures in our world. There's these, these pressures to, to constantly be distracted, to constantly buy more stuff, to constantly be listening, doing whatever. Um, 
So how can we, how, what are some of the ways that we can engage with some of these stuff, these things um, in a healthy way? What are, what are some of the things that you've seen are, are healthier ways to engage with tech or are healthier ways to um, honor our kids' developmental milestones or uh, et cetera? I think, I mean, I think it's super important that we have system designs in place in our homes when the kids are little, especially, uh, you know, that we have, we have more control over how we set up our home, the infrastructure, the, the culture of the home, right? The values in the home and like the way that we use technology in the home so that we can form some habits from that for them from a young age. So whether that be when we watch TV, when we engage with our devices, you know, and when we put them away, um, having dinner together and releasing those things and then literally doing times where you have digital detox times where it's like, okay, for the entire weekend, we know we're all together. We're only going to check our phone once in a while for emergencies, you know, to make sure that everything's okay, but we are going to do our best to intentionally not engage with this stuff. It takes a lot of intentionality to set things up like this because devices are made to be addictive, right? There is an addictive quality to them. Most of us are addictive in, addicted in one way or another. So it doesn't have to be a lot, but it can be some simple rules like, I'm not going to sleep with my phone right? I'm going to put it outside of the room. And there is going to be a pain point for those of us who have been sleeping with our phone next to us because, you know, again, there there are addictive qualities to getting up in the morning and hitting refresh and us getting a little dopamine kick and being like, ooh, that feels good. And so we have to set these things up we have to do it with intention. We have to know that it's like going to the gym. It's not the easiest thing to do because that's all the modeling that we're doing for our kids. And we're also kind of protecting them because in the future, whether that be your child goes to a school where in kindergarten they're handed an iPad or that be sometime in the future, right? So if your child goes to like a non-technology school, well, sometime in the future, they're going to have access to tech. So I think that it's super important that you start and look, if your kids aren't what quote unquote young, whatever that is, then just start where you are and do what you can, because I think it's so, so, so incredibly important, right? And just monitor yourself. Have I had conversations in the day where I haven't looked at my phone? You know, have I been present with my children even if they're doing something that I'm not doing, because it always feels like, well, they're doing something anyway. So they're watching, they're doing, they're playing something anyway. So I might as well just check this anyway. You'll be surprised if you just sit down on the ground while they're playing or while whatever they're doing their homework, um, how many times they actually glance at you, right? You'll be surprised at like the nonverbal communication that goes on or that they know that you're present and you're not elsewhere mentally. So I think that these things only get set up systematically, right? I think that they get set up with intentional design. I think if you're just like, I'm going to do my best, that it's just not going to happen, even though your intention is to do your best, unless you have some systems in place. And you're actually very explicitly explaining to your kids why you're doing it. So with my kids, and I, and you know, um, I am far from perfect, trust me. But with my kids that are three and four years old, I will, um, you know, I'll say to them, mommy's looking at her phone right now because I have to do this, you know, and I'll tell them why and for what period of time, and then I'll put it down. 
and I'll say, oh, we don't do phones at the table. And like my kids will even say, we don't do phones at the table, you know, and they'll take the phones and they'll put them away. We don't do them when we're sleeping. So, you know, like things like that. Obviously, I'm not saying anything that's not intuitive. But what I am saying is that if you don't make a plan and you don't make a commitment, these things don't happen. Yeah. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness, and I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder, and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Yeah, that intentionality has to be there. Um, in our home, we uh, we have screen-free Sunday. So every Sunday, we just take a break. You know, it's just a way to take a break. But I, I love that question you're asking, like, have I been present? Even while they're doing other things, um, I pick my girls up from the bus stop, and then they're, like, kind of playing. And I'm kind of like, okay, you know, and, and it, that would probably be a good time to, uh, to be a little more present. But it's a so amazing to just even see our uh, culture, even as adults, like I go to the bus stop and like my neighbors and are there that I know and the other parents and, um, and everybody's like looking at their phone. Everybody's <laughs> looking at their phone. Everyone's <laughs> on their phone. And for kids who are younger, they don't have a phone, right? So they're like, wow, this thing that you guys have is super important. I don't really know what's going on on it, but I know it's important because everyone has them and you will see them. You will see how they sell play phones, and, like the kids play with the phones because they're just modeling the behavior that they see all around them. But there is an, there's a lack of engagement and presence you know, on a global level, really, because there are phones everywhere. So they're not going anywhere. And I'm not saying like we should just throw them out the door because there's a, there's a lot of benefit to technology and to connecting with other people. Look, Hunter and I have never met and we're connecting online like this, right? So there's a lot of beauty in the connections that you can find online. But I think that if we are not systematic about being mindful, that it just is, you're, you're swimming against the current with this. Yeah. And and let's not demonize our kids because these things are addictive. The devices are addictive, right? 
And so it's not about shouting at them and making them, you know, taking their devices away. It's about engaging them in the conversation too um, and, and finding creative ways to get their buy-in to do things like screen-free Sunday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Part of the conversation was a bit a conversation with our kids about, you know, th- about what, uh, how technology is addictive and how, uh, you know, your brains are developing and how we all need time, even mommy and daddy need time to kind of take a break. So it really was a very, uh, you know, transparent kind of conversation. So, so the science, tell us a little bit more then about, you know, we've talked about this idea of our kids' big feelings and processing emotions. We've talked about this, I, the, the technology and the culture that we're in that is so challenging to do these things, to being present, to, to um, sitting with discomfort um, because everything tells us not to do that and to go distract ourselves with something else. So what, is, what does the science tell us about um, greater well-being, um, specifically for kids, but then I'm sure it, some of it probably also uh, applies to adults too? So what does the science tell us about greater well-being is that it's something that can be changed, right? It's something that can be practiced, um, that you can adjust the set point or your natural disposition. So if you have a child that you would consider to be a natural pessimist, right, or more natural, they're leaning toward that, that that's something that that's okay, right? There might be a natural set point that they've come in with or a natural disposition, but with practice, these things can change. So I think that the, you know, the field of neuroscience growing and showing us that our, uh, there's plasticity in our brain and that our brains can grow and our brains can change and that we can rewire is incredibly important because for the most part, I know that growing up, I felt like I was just whatever the cards I was dealt was what I had, you know, and I'm just this way and that's just kind of the way it is. So I think that the science is super exciting when kids know that their brains can grow and their brains can change and that they can adjust their well-being. It's huge. Mm -hmm. I think it's also important to teach kids really explicitly that things come and go and that emotions are transient and that they are not permanent, right? They're not forever. But there actually is a message within every emotion and every emotion actually has a purpose. So let us change what we've been teaching our kids and teach them about the science of every single emotion. There's a reason that we feel guilty, right? It can prevent us from doing something to hurt someone else in the future. There is a purpose for anger. It can be a very positive catalyst for change. It's led to social revolutions, right? Um, Rosa Parks was extremely angry and she used her anger for good. So anger is not always bad. There is a reason for it. It just needs to be processed. You need to sit with it. You need to listen to its message. So I think, you know, these are some of the things that when it comes to the science of well-being, we can get really granular with the kids. So yeah, you start with, look, your brain can change. You know, you can change your well-being with practice. And then we, and then we, introduce some of the techniques. Like here are some of the techniques and there are so many different ones. And not everyone, not every technique resonates with every kid. It's just, you know, it varies from kid to kid. It depends on their age. 
And we as parents need to meet them where they're at, right? So if they are into games, then we make it a game. If they're into science fiction, then we can use, I often use Star Wars, you know, to talk mm-hmm. to kids. Um, and that the everyone has a light and dark side of the force within them, you know, so you just have to make it accessible to them. So it's engaging to them. All the concepts are universal. Mm, I love that. The Star Wars analogy. I'm totally going to use that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've definitely seen that in my own uh, learning with my daughter. Uh, I was, I had, she's kind of a highly sensitive kid and I taught her at a certain point, you know, she's 10 and a half now at a certain point, maybe a year ago or a couple of years ago, I said, you know what, Maggie? I said, honey, you're like, um, you're like an, an orchid. And, you know, most, a, a lot of people there are like dandelions and dandelions can grow and be beautiful and thrive in a lot of different conditions and all over the place. But an orchid needs special conditions to grow and thrive and, you know, really needs the right kind of food and the right kind of light and the right kind of, but then can be a beautiful orchid. And I talked to her about that, talking about, you know, you need to really take care of how much sleep you get and how much food you get and, you know, it's, and, and how you're taking care of your body. And, and it's been really interesting because she's referenced back to that conversation now a couple times and it it helped her kind of understand, like, I have to take care of myself. And she actually went to a sleepover party uh, recently and she like went downstairs on the couch and went to bed earlier than everybody else who's having a dance party. She's like, I'm an orchid. Need my sleep. (laughs) (laughs) I know. It was great. It was great. So, um, so cool. I love that, that idea of plasticity and just teaching kids that they can change that, that growth mindset. Right. And that, and teaching us, teaching about our emotions and, and you're, you're, it's interesting because you're basically talking about impermanence, um, that, that everything is is fleeting and 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 kind of embracing that. I think that's hard enough for many adults to to um, wrap our heads around, huh? Yes, yes. That this too shall pass, and that it's okay to lean into the discomfort. I mean, that alone is life changing, right? Yes. What do you mean I don't have to get rid of it? No, you don't have to get rid of it. Yes, yes. That can take a lifetime of practice. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Leaning into the discomfort is so, so huge. Oh my gosh. Um, Rini, I have a feeling I could, uh, I could kind of pick your brain about this stuff for a long time (laughs) because, uh, I really geek out on this kind of thing. So, but, um, but what, what, what would you like, um, for parents listening to this, um, who are concerned about their kids and don't want their kids to grow up like feeling so anxious. And maybe they're going to start to, you know, make some boundaries about around technology and, and maybe they're going to take in some of this information and make a few changes. But what would you like to say to those parents about where, where they can direct their energy towards helping their their child have more well-being? I think the first step is to understand that stress is part of who we are. It's part of our humanity and that it's actually okay, you know, and that it can even be used to our advantage. And so it's not a matter of quashing it. It's just a matter of redirecting it. And please feel free to use the term stress better because that's what I say and we say. 
Um, I would, if you have a child that is going through something and you feel like they're exhibiting anxious behavior or they're getting stressed out chronically, then on gozen.com, we have a free video series that can teach kids about stress and what it does in their body and how they can make some changes. Um, And then of course we have programming as well. But I just want you to know as parents, number one, that you're not alone. And number two, I implore you to adopt for yourself a voice of self-compassion, not just because it's a warm fuzzy to be kind to yourself and speak to yourself as a friend would, but because it is the voice that your child adopts as well. So if you don't want them to be self-critical, then model self-compassion and know that there's no fault in this, right? There's no guilt in this. There's no fault in this. This You are not there to control what your child is going through. You are there to guide them, right? So your child is a Jedi in training and you are their Yoda. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um, so thank you so much. I, I really appreciate you taking the time, Rini, to come on the Mindful Mama podcast. And, and obviously, I, parents, I want you to go check out GoZen.com. I will be looking at it a lot more in the coming days and, and sharing some stuff with my kids. Um, and, and how else can people find out about your work and how to contact you? Um, gozen.com is probably the best place. And then you can also visit me at reenijane.com, which has a little bit more info, but otherwise, yeah, gozen.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, Reenie. I really appreciate it. You're so welcome, Hunter. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to the Mindful Mama podcast. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Rini. The work she's doing is so exciting, right? Don't you love that Star Wars analogy and just um, like, the yes, we need to teach kids how to deal with challenges, how to process emotions. Like, yes, yes, yes. And to do that, one of the best ways is to learn how to do it ourselves um, and to learn how to be more present ourselves. So uh, if you are interested, just to uh, let you know again, I will be enrolling soon the Mindful Mama Transformation Group Coaching Program coming up soon so you can learn about that more over at hunterclarkfields.com on the work with me page. And we have, so that is coming up. And if you have questions about this episode with Rini Jane, or if you have questions about any other episode, you can email me at hunter at hunterclarkfields.com. You can go and leave a comment over at mindfulmamapodcast.com. That's where all the episodes are. And I hope you will, if you enjoyed this episode, if you got some benefit, share it with a friend today. That's such a great way to support the podcast. Um, If you haven't subscribed and leave a rating, you have no idea. It makes such a big difference. It really is huge. So uh, please, please do subscribe and leave a rating. And don't forget to grab that free audio guide, mindfulmomguide.com. I'm throwing a lot of websites at you. Oh my God, you guys, is it too much? Oh, I'm, I'm, I hope not. I'm going to add to your overwhelm. If, if, if it's overwhelming, just, just breathe. Take a deep breath in. Let it out. 
take what you can, take what works for you, and leave the rest, okay? I I don't want to add to your overwhelm. I just want to help water your good seeds. So I hope this has watered your good seeds today. I'm so happy to connect with you. I'm so glad you are here. And I'm really wishing you a beautiful week, a week of being present, being able to be with your discomfort, being able to be with your joy. Because when you're with your you're able to be with your discomfort, then you're able to be with your joy even more. So that's what it's all about, right? Thanks so much, friends. Have a great week. Namaste. Are you frustrated with parenting? Do you want to practice conscious, compassionate parenting, but you don't know how? It's not easy, and there's no roadmap for this until now. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, creator of the Mindful Parenting Course, and I know how frustrating it is because I've been there. I really struggled as a young mom, and when I found myself yelling and triggered by my child a lot, I knew there had to be a better way. And there is. Mindful parenting is different from other parenting trainings. They don't tell you that all of that good advice is as good as useless when our internal stress response is triggered. Mindful Parenting teaches you research-based tools and practices to reduce your stress response so you can respond rather than react. And it teaches you exactly what to say so that you can create willing cooperation from your child. You can learn more and enroll at mindfulparentingcourse.com and you can join us for a free live training from October 9th through 13th where you'll learn why your kids don't listen to you, what punishment really teaches, how to tame a tantrum at every age, and the hidden myth that undermines your parenting. Sign up now at mindfulparentingcourse.com slash free training. I'll see you there. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist, and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness, and I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder, and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.